Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy virtual Sunday one more time. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I know what you're thinking. Is that really March? Because there's a lot of hair going on. And uh, it is. And it's not because of COVID or anything. It's because that's how Giselle likes it. And uh, so if there's a blame to be put, uh, you know where to put it. Anyways, I'm just, just happy to be here. So praise God for the opportunity again. Hey, uh, like what Pastor Brian said, just continue to pray for the nation, for our cities. Uh, there's a lot of things happening, a lot of, a lot of uh, emotions involved, a lot of health issues. There's just a lot of things. And so this is the exact time that we need the Lord to be in the middle of all of it. And so continue to pray together by yourself amongst each other uh, to lift him up to be the center of everything as we're going through these things. So, hey, if you if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus 15. Exodus 15, beginning verse 22. That's what our study is going to be today. And as you're turning there, let's go ahead and pray. So Exodus 15, verse 22. Uh, pray with me. Father, we are just so dependent on you and so in need of who you are. And we pray as we open up the word, as we open up this text, Lord God, that really uh, you stand out and that you introduce yourself to us and that you will impact our lives and you would shape us and that you would manifest yourself to be the center of all of attention uh, during this time and during this study. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, so uh, I looked up the most Googled person in 2019, right? So we're not done with 2020. They can't possibly get that data. But 2019, do you know the most Googled person in 2019? I don't really know who he is, but it's Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown. I'm not a sports guy, so I have to look this guy up. He used to be a Steeler, and he became a Raider, and he became a Patriot, uh, and then they cut him. There's a lot of drama, a lot of, uh, you would say, misdemeanors, a lot of stuff, right? A lot of things that were happening that kind of caused all of this, but uh, he was the most Googled, so therefore, he is uh, known by so many people. So, you know, it's realistic to say that that so many people know about who he is, know about his background, his favorite ice cream, his favorite, I don't know, whatever, right? He just knows a lot about him, but I'm willing to say that there's only a handful that actually know him. And it's the same with the Lord, right? There's tons of literature and stories and documentaries and speculation of who they think God is. And there are all these ideas about who might God be. And so there's a lot of people who know about God, but there's also only a handful that intimately know him. Only a few that really know the God of heaven. And so we're continuing this amazing, awesome study in the book of Exodus, and we are in part three right now in this mini-series called Who is God? And it's possibly the most important question ever asked, right? It's asked by every civilization, every generation. If God exists, then who is he? What is he like? What does he do? What does he want? And even men in throughout the Bible has desired to get to know God. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. But more than just men wanting to know who God is, God himself wants to be known. Over and over in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, in the Old Testament in particular, God says, so you may know that I am the Lord. 
In Psalm 46.10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. He wants to be found and he wants to be sought after. And even if, even as he is seeking and saving the lost. So the story, in this story where we are, God is in the process of reintroducing himself to his own people. Like all the miracles and all this display of massive power, even the direction that he's given to Moses to act as a go-between, all of that is just God reintroducing himself back to Israel because they know about him, but they don't really know him. And it's been 400 plus years that they were in slavery. They've heard about God and he's been quiet and now that's about to change. So this story, where we are so far, they just finished crossing the Red Sea, right? It's just an amazing display of power over nature. Uh, and what Pastor Brian covered and said multiple times, in this one event, he displayed that he was able to save and to judge, save Israel and judge the Egyptians. And that's what the cross does too, right? It saves and it judges at the same time. And if you, uh, if you have the map right now, uh, you could probably, we're going to flash it here. You'll see there's a big arrow. It's going to kind of depict where we are in the whole story. So the Hebrews just left the Red Sea and they traveled three days and they ran out of water and, in a place called Mara. And you'll see that if there's an arrow there, you'll see where Mara is in comparison to where they crossed and where the next city is. What we're going to cover also is Elim. So we're going to kind of look at this text. Uh, we're going to break down verses 22 to 27 into four sections, four observations. And this is what they are. Number one is travel. So that's simply just them walking, them traveling the three uh, days and all the way through Mara. Number two is transformation. That's when God moves and changes the water for it to be drinkable. There's a lot of things to talk about there too. Number three is test. And that's a unique aspect for us, especially as Christians, how God tests us. And we'll talk about that. And then finally, tranquility. God finally gives them rest and uh, plenty when they get to Elam. All right, so a lot of things to cover. Let's just jump right into it. Number one is travel. Verse 22, follow me. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And then they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So right off the bat, we recognize the significance of water to Israel. If you think about it, Right? Not just, not just for survival, but also in their spiritual journey. For 40 years, their 40 year journey is bookended by miraculous crossing of water. So Exodus 14, they cross the Red Sea. And later on, Joshua 3, they cross the Jordan. So they cross the Red Sea to go into the wilderness. And then they cross the Jordan to get out of the wilderness. It bookends their 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 journey for 40 40 years. And it's interesting that that water reference too, this is a homework for all of you, water reference is all over the concept of salvation and sanctification, even for us, right? We're talking about the washing over of the word, the act of baptism. When Jesus was stabbed right on the cross, blood and water came out. All of this reference, and it's worth studying more, but we just don't, we don't have time for it today. But take a look at verse 22. 
It's important to note that Moses brought them, but it's really God who is leading them throughout this whole thing, right? They came out of the Red Sea. They traveled through the wilderness of Shur, and now they are in Mara. And the text says that they went three days in the wilderness, uh, and no food, no, and found no water. So that could mean that after three days they ran out of water, or they've been out of water for three days. Now it's possible that they ran out of Egypt real fast; they didn't even have enough, or it could they could have refilled water in the Red Sea and then just ran out eventually, right? Regardless. They have no water now, and it's been three days. So you'll be proud of me. I looked this up in medicalnewstoday.com, right? And guess how many days someone can survive without water? Guess. Three days. And I looked, I looked up UK survival guides, and they have this rule of three. It's pretty cool. Rule of three is this. You can survive three minutes without breathable air, you can survive three hours without shelter in extreme cold or heat. You can survive three weeks without food, but you can only survive three days without drinkable water. Is that a coincidence? <laughs> Absolutely not. I want you to write this down, underline, and take a picture of this entire thing. Running out of water was not a surprise to God. It, God didn't go, Wait, you know what? That's what I forgot. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. In fact, God brings them to the edge of their human capability so that in order to show them, number one, that they are not self-sufficient, and number two, he is their only hope. You know that God does that to us all the time? He puts us sometimes to the very edge of our ability. to. He brings us to through emptiness and loss and much defeat, and he shows us our limitations just so that we can stop depending on ourselves, just so we can start crying out to him and start relying and calling for his help. That's pretty amazing. In fact, let's take it a step further. The gospel works the same way, right? The law that was given to the people, not just the Ten Commandments, but the five and five or six hundred laws that encompassed all of what the law is, is not simply a long list of moral things to do. It's actually this unbreachable wall. It's a mirror that tells you how sinful you are and how unable you are to save yourself. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And realizing how impossible it is and how unable we are to accomplish it. Instinctively, we cry out for a savior. And before our minds can put together a solution, God, from the beginning of time, has already conceived to send his son. That's the whole idea of why God puts us at the edge of who we are and our capabilities and our ability to save ourselves so that we realize that our solution is only in him. So back to the story. The Egyptians are gone, right? The Egyptians are gone. They started on their journey. They're probably thinking, man, all of our troubles are behind us now. We're good. And then all of a sudden they ran out of water, but they get to Mara and they're thinking maybe there's a solution here. Come to find out. The water is undrinkable. So number one is travel. Number two is transformation. And transformation of the water. So verse 23. Now when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore it was called Mara. Mara means bitterness. Duh, right? 24. 
It says, and the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the water, the water was made sweet. Stop right there. So of course, God knew that by the time they ran out of water, they would be in Mara. In fact, he led them to Mara, knowing that the water was undrinkable. It's pretty amazing. I want you to follow me for a second. Follow me. We're going to do some mental gymnastics real fast, but you need to follow me, okay? So there's a classic Jewish line of thinking, a reasoning actually, to make a point. It's called arguing from the lesser to the greater. So remember the old Geico commercial? Uh, so easy that even a caveman can do it, right? That's, uh, that's that, that line of argument. Basically saying, if a caveman can do it and he's less intelligent than you, then you should be able to figure it out, right? It's, it should be easy for you. In fact, in fact, that's what Jesus uses in Luke eleven thirteen when he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the father in heaven is able to give good gifts, right? Basically, he said, since you guys, talking to disciples, since you all are evil, naturally evil, but you know how to give good gifts, think about the father who is already good. How good is his gifts, right? Basically, that's, that's the argument from the lesser to the greater. And it's the same here. The problem, the first problem of the wilderness is not the lack of water. It's not even the bitter water. The first problem of the wilderness was there was too much water. The first problem of the wilderness was the Red Sea. And if God is able to overcome the Red Sea, then the bitter water is not much for the Lord. That's the whole idea. And it's the same for us, right? Our greatest problem is not our current problems, It's not our finances. It's not our relationships. It's not our unreached goals. Our greatest problem is how a holy God can reconcile himself to a sinful man. But that's already been covered at the cross. Romans 8.32, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? In other words, if God solved the most difficult problems by sending his son, then he is able to do and give anything else. If you ever think that God held out on you, then you look at the cross and see what he gave up. That's how you know what God is willing to do. Back to the story. Right? Notice that this is, there's a process. This is a reoccurring process is going to happen hundreds of times in the next 40 years. There's a problem, and the people complain and Moses cries to God. It happens over and over and over again. By the way, every godly leader understands this, right? Everybody who's been put in a position of leadership within the church, within the community of faith, understands this. Complains, and, God, and, and the man of God or a woman of God cries out to God. But I want you to pay attention to this, right? Notice the difference in the way that they respond to problems. They complain, they grumble, they throw fits, they're going to they're gonna rebel, but Moses consistently goes to God. He consistently, that's his default, that's his response, that's the only thing he knows, which is so awesome. And I want you to see in this case, it's the same thing, right? So Moses prays to God and God shows him a tree that he needs to throw in the water. And the New King James says tree, the ESV says log, and the NIV uses the words 
piece of wood. So let's just be clear. Moses at 80 or 81, 82, wherever he is now, he's not going chopping down a big tree. He's not doing that, right? He found a log. That's what he did. He found a log and he threw it in the water, which by the way, I'd love to have spent time expounding on this because there's several places in the Old Testament and the New Testament where the cross refers to as the tree. Right, so Acts five thirty, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, who ki- who you killed by hanging him on a tree. That tree, that log thrown into the bitter water, made it sweet. The same way that the cross touches the bitterness of death and makes it sweet. For a Christian, that's why death is not bitter. That's why death is sweet. That's why that's why the the bitterness of of death. Is, is, is erased and the sting of death is gone because it's a way for us to be with Jesus. Amazing. So I want you to put your thinking caps on. Here we go. We're about to do something else. Okay. Uh, uh, go grab your thinking caps. Go ahead. Get it and just put it on. Okay. So we're going to do some, some things. Here's a question for you. A question. Was this a special log with special unique properties that cleans water? I mean, Maybe. In fact, there's a tree in the coast of New Zealand called the Nali Maran tree that has the same properties. It cleans water. In fact, in 1744, there's this missionary named uh, Kirnar Dar. I, I don't know how you say it. Anyways, something like that, right? He, he's, he was a missionary and he had a mission that he was taking care of. And there was a spring of water there and uh, it was sweet. And then because of the lack of rain, I guess, which commonly happens, it makes the makes the water bitter, right? So lack of rain, lack of fresh water, and the water gets bitter. So he was advised in New Zealand, he was advised to cut down these, these trees, a, a Nali Maran tree, and throw it in the wa- water. And he did it, and the water became sweet. So I'm asking you, do you think that's what happened here? Like, do you think in Mara, in the wilderness of Shur, God directed Moses to find a Nali Maran tree? You think that's what happened? No. Does God even need to use the log? No, right? He could have transformed the water even before the Hebrews got there. So the question for you and me and us, whoever, is why then would God use this log? And I want you to consider the kindness and the wisdom of God as a loving father, as he is connecting the dots for them to himself. That's what he's doing. It's kind of like those shows or videos that you see of slow motion things, right? Something happens too fast and you need to slow it down so you can see exactly what's happening, like a water balloon burst or, you know, we're, we're talking about hummingbirds, right? Hummingbirds with, with their fast wings, you slow it down and you see the, I'm not going to do it, but anyways, you know what I mean? Like they, the way that they flap, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Or even the sports guys, right? The, the referees, they need to make a call and they, so they take a look at the, the video and they slow it down and they run it tape, you know, play by play. That's what's happening here. God is slowing it down. He's showing them play by play so they understand that it is he is the one that's doing everything for them. God is doing it all the time. He's doing it for 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 us, not for himself. It's for our benefit because we only understand cause and effect. We only understand this linear progression of events because we're bound by time and space. Oh, that's all we understand. So he's doing it for our benefit so that we will know that he is the Lord. 
Think about that. Think about God introducing himself to his people again. And he's got to do it Barney style. He's got to do it slow. And he's connecting all the dots so they understand who he is. By the way, side note, those of us who are in ministry, we're we're those logs, right? Uh, No real special powers. No real unique properties but god uses it for his glory for for his for his uh, for our benefit for our privilege but for the benefit of others but for his glory uh, i had a humorous i have a funny i don't want to say humorous let's say funny okay i have a funny story i had a buddy we were in ministry together and you know he's a gifted teacher and he one day he taught and he actually did a good job so i said hey man uh good job and he said he turned to me he said um it was all god and I said, if it was all God, it'd be better. <laughs> uh, so it'd be, I said, get, the, get your theology right. <laughs> anyways, I'm, that's a joke. You're probably laughing out there. Maybe not. Whatever. But anyways, take, notice the brilliance of this entire thing, right? God heals the water with this random, unnecessary log and he uses it as a springboard so he can start talking about statutes and laws and ordinances. And he connects the healing of the water to an identity that he's going to proclaim to them. That he is the Lord who heals. Amazing, right? So anyway, number one is travel. Number two is transformation. And number three is test. So let's pick it up in the middle of verse 25. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. Circle that, put an arrow, underline, do whatever you got to do. Verse 26, and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, to give ear to his commands and to keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have brought onto the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals. There is so many things happening in that section, right? We could spend a semester just unearthing that, but we're not going to. Uh, but but just take a look at this. At the end of verse 25, there's a word that he uses. He uses test, right? The New King James uses test. The King James uses prove. The idea is to reveal, right? To show what's happening about him, about God, and all that stuff. So it's, it's interesting that no matter what flavor of Christian you are, you always hear Christians talk about how God tests us, right? How God tells, oh man, man, God is testing me, or this is a test from the Lord. But let me, let me, I want you to stop and think about that, okay? Stop and think about that, because what are tests for, right? So in school, you have exams to find out if you retain the information or you understand the concept, right? That's what exams are for. Or in special programs, whether it's military or firemen or whatever, they want you to do to demonstrate these abilities so we understand that you can perform at that level, right? That's the whole idea. But the question is, the question is, doesn't God already know your skill level? Doesn't he already know what you can and cannot do? Doesn't he already know the results of the test, even before the test happens? Doesn't God have the ability to overcome your inability? And in some cases, can't he put stumbling blocks or obstacles in front of you if he really wants to? So the question there is, if that's true, why does God put people through tests if he already knows? And the answer is, the test is not for God to evaluate us. 
The test is for us to understand ourselves and to understand God. In other words, God tests us for our own benefit. Can you imagine the grace of God for doing that? That He allows us to go through these things for our benefit, for our plus. That's amazing. So the next time you hear yourself say, this is just a test, realize that it is another opportunity for you to know yourself and God. Look at verse 26 again. Look at the phrase, I am the Lord who heals you. That's a big deal. I want you to geek out because I'm geeking out. I want you to understand that, right? That's a big deal. That's a formal title of God. That is Jehovah Rapha. That is God introducing his own self to his people. That is a formal introduction to Israel, who he is. I am the Lord that heals. That's why the series is so properly named. Who is God? Look at verse 26 again, something else. God highlights, I want you to catch this. Okay. God highlights his unchanging identity as a healer and connects it with a conditional promise. All right, let me say that. God highlights his unchanging identity as a healer, and he connects it with a conditional promise. So catch this, right? God says, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, if you do what is right in his sight, if you give ear, which means to listen, if you give ear to his commands, if you keep his statutes, if you do that, God, then God says, I will put None of the disease on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians. I am the Lord who heals you. There's, that is just an interesting statement. And I want you to notice a couple of things. And number one, I want you to notice that this promise takes effect if Israel is obedient and faithful. Right? God does it oh, over and over in the Old Testament. Right? He says, he says, if you fully obey my voice, if you carefully observe my commands, if you do not turn to your left or to your right, if you follow me, I will do this thing for you. But I want you to notice something else. Right? There's a connection between knowing God and obeying God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. And by this we know that we have known him. That's an interesting way to say it, right? This, by this we know that we have known him if we keep his commandments. Because whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. In other words, to know him is to obey him. Because to know him as Lord, we realize that he must be obeyed and followed. The second thing I want you to notice here is that by his own admission, God says he controls diseases. That's amazing, right? So I want you to notice the language is not passive there. It's very, very much active. He doesn't simply say, I'm going to protect you from disease. He says, I will not put or I will not place or I will not inflict the same diseases I gave to the Egyptians to you. And I'll tell you, that's, that's not the difficult part. The difficult part is the revelation that God heals. The difficult part is there are some of you right now who's asking, why isn't God healing me? Or why isn't God healing my loved one? That's the difficult part. Because you're struggling and you're asking, man, I've, I've been pleading. I've 
been praying. I've been asking. I'm, I'm, I'm being obedient. I'm being faithful. Like, why isn't this happening? And then you start questioning yourself. Am I really a Christian? Do I really love God? Does he really love me? Is there sin in my life? Am I, am I doing something wrong? And I want to tell you, that's heartbreaking whenever I hear people do that. And let me, let me, I want you to note this, right? I want you to note this. It's Satan's joy It's Satan's joy that you would punish yourself for something you didn't do. It brings them so much joy for you to crush yourself under the weight of something that doesn't even really exist. When you start to say, does God even really love me? Did he actually die for me? Am I saved? All of that brings the the enemy so much joy and so much accomplishment. But I want to say to you this. If this is you, you've been asking and you've been begging and there's no relief, then you're in good company. You're in good company. Paul pleaded with God three times to take away what he called the thorn in his flesh, right? He, he prayed. Paul, who wrote at least 13 books of the New Testament. Paul, who mentored pastors and, found, and founded churches. And he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul pleaded with God, and God said, my son, no. Check it out, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 to 9. It might be in your, in your bulletin, in your, in your study guide. Three times, this is Paul, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may result in me or my rest in me. You know what he says? He says, God, in three different occasions with pleading heart, he says, God, take it away. And God says, my son, no, at this time, I'm not going to. And Paul says, with a proper perspective, he says, Lord, okay, then I will boast in my weakness, right? Because my weak, in my weakness, you are made perfect. Is anything possible to God? Absolutely, we see that. Does God heal? We see that too. But in his sovereign will, his plan and his wisdom, sometimes God doesn't always do that. And he doesn't always overcome every difficulty. And he doesn't always give us or grant us what we desire. And he doesn't always, in this case, he doesn't always heal. And the answer is, I don't know why. But I know this. God's primary concern is not our physical lives. Our, his primary concern is your eternal state of being the heart of men is desperately wicked and the more pressing issue for us is not the healing of us spiritually but is the healing of us spiritually what i what i meant to say is is he's not concerned much more of our physical healing than he is of our spiritual healing and our response to unanswered prayer has to be like what Paul did, not to go bitter, not to be resentful, but to press more into Christ, knowing that he has overcome our deeper need, which is forgiveness. Number one was travel. Number two is transformation. Number three is test. And then lastly, number four is tranquility. So after the bitterness of Mara, God brings them to the tranquility of Elim. So verse 27, then they came to Elim, which means palm, like, like uh, 
Palm Springs, right? Almost exactly Palm Springs. Anyways, Palm Springs, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees so that they camped there by the waters. We were never told that they camped in Mara, but we were definitely told that they encamped in Elim. And I love that the New King James adds the word so, right? It's very, very helpful. I was going to say so, it's very, very, it's very, very helpful that the New King James adds that because the other translation don't. He said, so they camp there. So is used as therefore or consequently, right? So, which basically means, kind of cool thing, a little tidbit. He said, they said, there's 12 wells, there's 70 palms, that's why they camp there. That's basically the tone when you add so. And I love that. God led them to tranquility and rest when there is enough water and there is enough shade, there's enough trees to get them to rest. And then, I'll, and then after that, to move on again. I want you to know as believers, that's the same thing for us. Our spiritual journey is like that, isn't it? God, God purposefully, lovingly, brings us through places like Mara when we feel emptied and tired and we are at the edge of ourselves, where there's much bitterness and then much testing. But because he is a good father and because he is a grid shepherd and because he knows that we are frail and weak, eventually he leads us to places like Elim, right? Where we can rest and we can drink or we can have shade only to be ready to move again. So I want you to understand that's part of the journey. And every part of the journey is to be able to strengthen our faith and to grow our trust in him. So the next time that we are in Mara, we know that God is able to make the water sweet again. We know that we're not supposed to camp there. And we know that it's just a matter of time until God brings us out and drops us into Elim again. Every part of our journey is like that in this world. Seasons of bitterness, and testing, and then seasons of rest and plenty. So we shouldn't be surprised when God walks us through the desert and it's challenging and that we're empty because we know that this is the way we get to know him. And eventually he brings us to a point of rest. That's our whole journey in life. Imagine that. That's an amazing blessing that we realize that. And the model for us is here in the text. So let's do some takeaways and then start wrapping this up. Number one, in your notes and in the bulletins or in the, in the study guides, check this out. Number one is see God as the Lord of the whole spectrum. That's a big word, right? See God as the Lord of the whole spectrum. So the Red Sea, too much water. The wilderness, not enough water. Mara, bitter water. Elim, good and enough water. The full spectrum. It's so good, right? God is the Lord through all of it. There was no point where God resigned or he walked away or there was no moment where he stopped paying attention. He was the Lord through the entire thing. There's this, there's this, uh, there's this song that uh, I, I love. It's called Here Again. And there's a, there's a line there that says, Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. In other words, there has never been one minute that ever existed where God had forsaken me. No, he was there the entire time. And it's the same for our lives, right? Through the whole spectrum, through bitterness, through joy, through defeat, through victory, through pain, through loss, through redemption, all of that. God is the Lord through that entire thing. 
Number two, see the value of the journey. See the value of the journey, not the destination. We, we love Elims, right? We love, to, we love to finish. We love to find our goals. We love to reach our destinations. But it, because we think that the destination is the reward. But I wanted to let you know that it is the journey that teaches us. It's the process that shapes us. It's the journey that we find out who we are and who God is. So don't resent the process. It might be even more valuable than your temporary goals. Number three, respond well to trouble. Respond well to trouble. Notice the contrast. When there was trouble in Israel, the people complained, but Moses prayed to God. And the question for us always and right now is how do we respond to trouble? What is our default reaction? Is it to complain? Is it to be unhappy? Is it to be resentful about life, about COVID, about rude people, about our jobs? Or, or do we respond like Moses did by crying out to God? Number four and last, remember that tests are for us. Remember that tests are for us. Remember that the the test is not for God to find out more data about us. The test is actually a grace of God to be granted to us so we can find more about ourselves and about him. He is connecting the dots for us so that we would look inward and upward. I want to close with this. A couple of verses in Jeremiah 9. Our series is called, Who is God? And there's no greater question ever been asked. And it's an amazing thing that God desires to be known. He desires for us to find out more about him. He says he is not hidden from us. We're told that if we seek him, we're going to find him. We're told that he is not far from any of us. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast in this. If you're going to boast, Boast in something like this. If you're going to be proud, be proud in this that you understand and know me. It's such a refreshing thing to know that there's this God who wants to be known. And the way to know him is through Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. And if that's you today, if you're the one asking who is God, then know that by design, God reveals himself to us through his son. Let's pray. Father, we're just uh, grateful for your word. We're grateful for your introduction to us of who you are. Father, we pray that you would still our hearts, Lord God. That you would quiet us down, that you would slow us down. Lord, we covered a lot of things today. Lord, but the basics of it is this. You are introducing yourself to us. And you desperately, lovingly, and, and effortfully drawing us near to you. And we're so grateful for that. 
And we pray, Father, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And that there be those of us here that are listening and out in the waves or maybe later on where you, where they realize that they won't, they are chasing after this God who is first chasing them. And that all of it comes through Christ. And that's what God designed. So Father, bless us, shape us. Father, turn our minds, stir our hearts, ultimately for your glory in Jesus' name.